It's so great to be back doing the Vagina Talk podcast. We took a break during the fall and holiday season, but now it's the new year. It's 2023, and we've got a lot of exciting topics we're going to cover this year. Super excited to restart this and kind of explore a lot of difficult topics. Well, you know, that's the purpose of the Vagina Talk, right? We want to uncover some of these taboos, myths that are out there, things people just maybe don't fully understand or want a little bit more education on. That's what we're here for. Right. Especially related to women's bodies and really women's wisdom inherent in the body. Absolutely. So, you know, we've been doing TikTok in the interim while we took this um, hiatus on the podcast. Oh my God, some of our stuff went viral, didn't it? Totally. It's awesome. Yeah, there's been a lot of, it's like a nice addition to our social platform for sure. One of the best things about TikTok and even IG or any of these sort of social platforms, even though we resisted at first, it's, you know, we're able to reach a wider audience and sort of raise awareness, um, introduce some topics, um, some common myths, um, and just really, really just reach a wider audience that we normally would not be able to just being based in Los Angeles. And I think that's one of the primary purposes of the podcast and of us doing social media is really just to educate people, to, to do it in a fun, informal manner. And I think people really respond. We know based on our TikTok yeah, um, traction, sure. right? People right. really love that. So we want to keep that momentum going for 2023. And you know what? We're in Beverly Hills, baby. We made it. This, this is our new office in Beverly Hills. That's this is right. awesome. We're super happy to be here. And yeah. it's really ex- sort of exciting to think about something and then see it really manifest itself. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. been years in the making. So, so we're super excited. And I think 2023, not only just being here in Beverly Hills, but we've really kind of expanded our roles and kind of including our goals of what we want to accomplish in 2023. So I think today what we ought to do is let's explore like maybe three or four different stories that are out there and kind of, you know, tell the audience what our thoughts as some specialists, your gynecologists, Mm -hmm. cosmetic surgeons really feel about this. Sure. And one of the reasons why we sort of chose this topic to sort of um, relaunch in January 2023 to start off the new year is that because we've gotten so many positive response from a lot of our viewers and followers on our reactions. So we just want to sort of delve deeper and answer some questions and kind of sort of share our thoughts on common things that are happening around the world, especially related to women's health. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's go ahead. We'll give our audience the story on the first one that we're going to do. So we'll read the story out and then we'll talk about it. We'll discuss. That's right. Would you like to read the story? I'd be thrilled to. (laughs) I don't think I'm the asshole here, but my girlfriend thinks differently, so I put it up to judgment or Reddit. Uh, Currently, I live with one of my absolute best friends. We have been friends since our iteration of high school, and we are both 23 now. We are both uh, uni students, and since we started uh, uni in the same town, we decided to share a place together. Everything has been great and so on, and we have been roommates for almost two and a half years now. My roommate is a medical student, which means that she has early mornings and late nights of studying, as well as managing a part-time job. So when she has tests and stuff coming up, I barely see her, and she is often very stressed out. The event happened like a week ago, so my roommate had this big test coming up um, right before Easter. So she spent all of her awake time studying, all supposed uh, sleep time, working. So it was a pretty intense time for her. One morning when I got up, my roommate was still sleeping. I noticed that the tampon box she had in our bathroom was empty. It had been for a time. 
I also kind of know my roommate's cycle since we've been living together for so long. Realizing it was so soon to be that time, I went down to the corner shop and bought a box of tampons. I put it on her table with a note saying, don't forget, before I left um, while she was still sleeping. Later that night, me and my girlfriend of about eight months, roommate and some other friends were meeting up for some drinks to catch a break from studying. We were all there as my roommate came and she said hi to everyone and told me what a lifesaver I was. Uh, she had completely forgotten that her period was due and thanked me so that she had tampons with her. My girlfriend frowned but didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Later, uh, when we were alone, uh, she was uh, she told me why I kept track of my roommate's periods. And, and I said, <laughs> I, I didn't do it purposely. I just kind of know when our cycle is. Uh, my GF told me it's weird, wrong, and I should not mix myself with other women's periods. Uh, it started a small argument, and she still thinks I'm an asshole over it. Or so on Reddit. What do you think? Well, I definitely think that sounds like a little sticky situation. Um, sounds like in- good intentions for sure. You know, if you're living with someone, you're in someone's close personal space, obviously your friends, you're going to care about them. And when you know they're going through something really difficult, you're going to want to try to do your best to- and be thoughtful and help. On the flip side, from a GF perspective, I think, you know, being aligned with someone's period is a very intimate thing. And then taking the next step and even buying tampons for your female girlfriend can be perceived as maybe having a, a more of a heightened interest. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, you're, when you're residing with someone, you're around them all the time. So there's also that sort of that, there could be a little bit of that sort of, I don't know, insecurity as well on the GF side. So I think you know, first it's not it's not there's not a clear answer. I think it's not you know you're not an asshole. You obviously had good intentions. You want to be friendly, but I think it warrants a conversation in depth, a three way conversation with the roommate, the GF, and yourself to really just kind of talk about it. I think we're at a time in the world where we could talk about. You know, are tampons more normal? Does it have to be this exclusive thing between two people? It could be something much more part of, part of the common sort of bathroom amenities. Like if toilet paper is missing, you might buy it for your roommate, whether they're the same gender, gender right, identifies the same sure. as you, you have an attraction or don't. So maybe the stigma of tampons and periods can also be eventually could evolve into being viewed in that manner. Yeah, I, I would probably take just a slightly different perspective here. Let's take, for example, the workplace. So it's not uncommon when women work together who are actively menstruating. Somehow their rhythms kind of gel together, uh-huh. right? And they start to have cycles that uh-huh. were that are close to one another. Uh-huh. So I think when you're in close proximity in an environment that often, that you do develop rhythms and you understand that other individual's rhythms. So knowing when the period is going to come or having a general idea of when it might come, I'm not sure means that there's some infidelity going on here. I think it's just, like you mentioned, kindness, you know. You saw the toilet paper empty, you saw the tampon box empty. So you're just trying to be a nice person and say, hey, you know, I know you're busy, you're studying, you're a killer med student, you know, I'm just trying to help you out. Right, totally. But again, it goes back to, you know, our tampons and women's health and women's body, sort of this topic that we don't really talk about or we feel like it's more of like in a corner versus something where it could be much more, you know, considered when you're talking about a bathroom or normal things. Could we normalize that a little bit more? 
Clearly, yeah, we're not there. Yeah. I mean, it's evolving, but I think it warrants a discussion for sure because it's not a clear. Yeah. I, I think I would feel really the opposite if you know it was her and she said, "Oh, you know, I noticed the box of condoms were empty, so I went ahead and replaced it for you." That is really intimate and probably stepping over the line. I don't Tampons, know about that. I don't know. I kind of I, I agree con- with the toilet paper thing. I don't agree with. Con- <laughs> I think condoms could also be replaced if you're friends. <laughs> Same oh, sex boy. is important. <laughs> For sure. All right, so you want to go on to story number two? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So story number two. Okay, so my periods are heavy to the point where I bleed through even the heaviest flow pads. A few years ago when I was a high school freshman, I was wearing this light pink dress with flowers on it and happened to be on my period at the time. I wasn't honestly too worried since I had black leggings on under it, but I ended up bleeding through my dress somehow anyways. My teacher loudly called me out to the hallway in front of everyone, so everyone in class ended up finding out, and it was extremely embarrassing, especially as someone who's timid and has bad social anxiety. Yeah, that's, uh, that actually is a fairly commonplace story in the sense that heavy periods, you know, the pads don't, are not adequate in their absorption or they're not changed frequently enough and then people tend to bleed through their panties, their clothing, and so on. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that does happen fairly frequently. What I'm disheartened about in this story is how the teacher pulled her out and singled her out and then allowed everybody to kind of understand what had happened to her. I, I think that's blatant wrong I'm not I'm confused and a little bit unclear on why the teacher what the teacher was trying to accomplish by sort of like announcing it singling her out I get like she's it's good that she noticed but if she was really trying to sort of um, manage the situation, I think that discretion is probably yeah. important, especially as her teacher. Hey, and she knows she has social anxiety. And then did she offer her any solution to, uh, you know, right. sort of ameliorate the situation that she was bleeding through her dress? You know, maybe put a sweatshirt around her waist or offer her something very subtle. There's so many ways to go about it. I don't Absolutely. see. Right. And, and then maybe walk with her down the corridor to the nurse and, you know, let the nurse kind of take it over right. from there. Not just you know, embarrass the daylights out of this already timid young lady. So I'm not really confused by that. So I really feel bad for her. Yeah, it's completely unnecessary. But what would that, so walking down the corridor, but what would you, what advice would you give sort of girls in general or young women who have really heavy periods that this could happen to? Yeah, I think what we ought to do is advise women, even young teenagers, if they're having really heavy periods, they should come see a gynecologist, or you're a gynecologist. I mean, we can easily manage this. We do all the time anyhow. Right. Um, because there's ways of dealing with this without hormones, without any major medical intervention. Mm-hmm. There's means of kind of mitigating the heaviness of their periods otherwise. Totally. So they don't have this huge fear Fair of, enough. oh my God, I'm going to bleed through my clothes. Or when I'm on my period, I only can wear this set of clothes and not that set of clothes, which I really want to wear. Right, right, yeah. totally. So making sure that your periods are normal and that the heavy flow is not due to anything that could be addressed medically is probably the first and foremost. But there's no reason to fear your periods is what we're also trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so periods this, are normal, right? Right, right, totally. <laughs> Should we do story three? Yes. Here's story number three. This actually happened seven weeks ago, so I can tell most of the outcome at this point. I was coming home from working my graveyard shift. It was the end of my work week. I was tired and I wasn't feeling great. Found out later it was COVID, but that's neither here nor there as far as my vagina is concerned. Anyway, I parked inside the garage and entered the house. I am a casino cocktail waitress, so I was still in uniform. Short skirt, two inch heels, and nylons. 
As I enter the house, hands full, I head to the kitchen to set my stuff on the counter. Between me and the kitchen is an entryway where we have a dog gate. It's not a very big one as we had a five pound Morky, but the entryway itself was quite wide. So the gate was long, three paneled wooden hinge gate. I tended to always just walk over the gate and this time was no different, especially since my hands were full. I lifted my leg to walk over, but as I did, my toe caught the top of the gate and I started to fall. I realize I'm falling and as I instinctively reach out to catch myself, my work bag goes flying across the floor along with my coffee cup and I'm almost to the floor when I feel the most indescribable pain I have ever felt in my mm. life. Mm. Far worse than childbirth, a C-section, episiotomy, far worse. When I tripped and started to fall, the hinge gate also tipped. I'm like scared to read the rest of this. And with one leg behind the gate and one folded midair, my body landed full force squarely between my legs on the top edge of the wooden gate. Bad. A second later, I crashed to the floor and let out a yell. My immediate response was to grab where it hurt, and so my hand went straight to my vagina. All I could feel was immense pain, but I instantly knew I was bleeding. I got up as quick as I could to get to the bathroom as I heard my daughter, who's 24, yell from upstairs asking if I was okay. As loudly as I could, I yelled, no, bring me a wet towel. Fast, I got into the bathroom, looked down as I started unzipping my skirt. I could see blood already pouring down my legs through my nylons. Mm -hmm. I kicked my shoes off and pulled my skirt, nylons, underwear all the way down at the same time. I shit you not, blood was pouring out my, of my vagina like water out of a hose. I immediately sat on the toilet and grabbed a wad of toilet paper and tried to stop the blood. The pain was beyond excruciating. At that moment, my boyfriend and daughter rushed up to the doorway and looked in horror at the pool of blood on the floor. My legs covered in blood, the blood running down the sides of the toilet, and my pale face. I stood and grabbed the wet towel out of my daughter's hand, and as I removed the wad of toilet paper, more blood started cascading out of me, and I shoved the wet towel between my legs and pressed my legs together to keep it as tightly compressed as I could. I leaned against the wall, feeling very weak, as my boyfriend grabbed me and pulled me out of there and slowly got me to, into a chair to sit down. I don't really remember the next couple of minutes because I apparently passed out. But I remember sitting there tightly holding the towel to my vagina, my daughter standing in front of me with a look of horror, and my boyfriend sitting across from me, looking as pale as I must have at the moment. The pain was beyond description. I sat there for a few minutes, eyes closed, tightly compressing the towel, my boyfriend and daughter wanting to call an ambulance or rush me to the ER. I asked them to just give me a couple of minutes first. I finally opened my eyes and said, okay, which one of you wants to look at my vagina? They both looked at me, <laughs> then to each other. My daughter quickly said, mm, I can't, I'll look. Can I use my phone flashlight? I nodded as I spread my legs and slowly removed the towel. My boyfriend sat and put his head in his hands as my daughter bent down and shone her flashlight at my vagina. Her eyes widened. She turned to my boyfriend and said, maybe you should come look since you know what it normally looks like. He got up and came over until the, until the day I die, which was obviously not the day. I will never forget the two of them bending over, phone flashlight in hand, peering down at my vagina with horror on their faces. And I'm silently praying, please don't let my son 19 walk down here right now. At this point, my daughter insisted that she was taking me to the ER. I managed to get on a pair of sweats and get into the car, towel still firmly compressed. The bleeding had slowed quite a bit by now, but hadn't stopped. My boyfriend stayed and cleaned up the murder scene in the bathroom. Bloody footprints on the floor and carpet as he texted me for updates. When we got to the ER, there was a line of patients out the door and around the corner. There was dozens of people that hadn't even checked in an hours long wait. I wasn't special, I told my daughter. Forget this. Let's go to the pharmacy and you can run in and buy me some witch hazel. Oh, epi episiotomy 
trick while I call my doctor. Fast forward, my boyfriend got me to the doctor and I had a small tear on my outer labia and a two inch tear on the inside of my labia next to my clitoris. She said if the bleeding started up again, I would need to get stitches, but I promised to go home, stay down and take care of it for the next few days. The first time I peed was a, I'm sorry, I'm gonna say this, moment as the, <laughs> that pain was almost as bad as original pain. I was out of work a total of nine days before I was able to go back. I walk about 10 miles per shift, so walk, working wasn't an option. It took six days for the bleeding to completely stop. My entire pubic area was black and blue for almost three weeks, and although I don't feel any more pain today, there are still bumps down there that I assume are scar tissue, but we'll know after my upcoming OBGYN appointment. I don't pee the same as I used to. It comes out slower and less streamlined, but perhaps that will change over time. Sex is fine again, thankfully, but my boyfriend was hesitant when we tried the first time because he was afraid to hurt me. But I'd say seven weeks later, it's just now a dramatic story I can tell. Unfortunately, I feel like I can now say that I have an idea what it feels like when a guy hits, gets hit in the balls, maybe sometimes, maybe times a hundred. I can't even imagine this happened to a guy. 10-10 would not recommend it. Wow. That's a saga. That is a saga. That truly That's a is. very long story. Um, actually, this is what we term a straddle injury. Um, being a long-time practicing gynecologist, I've seen quite a few straddle injuries um, from little girls on bicycle seats that have injuries to, you know, kids riding skateboards, horseback riding. There's so many different ones, and that's what she's describing. Totally. And even our, I mean, our youngest daughter, their mm -hmm. bath toys that were hard in the bathtub, and, you know, she ended up having a little labial tear. Um, so we don't recommend hard toys in the in the bathtub either when they're playing and jumping in the in the tub like it's a pool. And for this lady, I, I, it's the location. You know, it's like real estate. Location, location, location. The human body is very similar. If you have an injury in the most innervated area, nerve-wise, mm -hmm. in the human body, it's going to be exquisitely painful. That's right. And we all know the clitoris has, what, 20,000 more nerve endings than anywhere else in the human body? So... It, you injure that area? It's going to Probably you say, oh, I'd rather die. Yeah, pretty painful. And the bleeding too. I mean, a lot of the the bleeding or the blood supply really comes from the lower third. So that other labial tear, I mean, it takes time for it to stop. I mean, the the good side is that she obviously is a healthy person. Her yeah. she was able to coagulate and not like hemorrhage out, but it sounded like it was it took some time. But we've actually taken care of patients who have come through ambulance who've had a straddle injury who were literally hemorrhaging to death. Yeah. It's this highly, highly vascularized area in the vagina. So I, I feel for this lady. I'm sure that's going to be PTSD for most of her life. Absolutely. But she did the right thing. What did she do? She first ran to the bathroom, got a towel, and compressed that area, not knowing what she was doing, but being a doctor mom and maybe taking care of like hand injuries or arm injuries where you put pressure on it, she did the same thing. Right. And she saved herself, actually, by doing that. I think so, too. Um, in terms of, you know, eliciting your family to take a look to see what's, if it's okay or if it's normal, I, I don't know if that's completely a necessary step. I know it's like a heightened situation, but if the individual looking at it is not looking at it with a clinical eye, I think you possibly could be spared 
sort of the the, the trauma mm-hmm. of having your daughter and boyfriend yeah, or family phone. member. Yeah, it's a little, <laughs> like, I mean, that's yeah. sort of like an emotional scar. Yeah. Um, because what are they going to do different? They, they can't yeah. clinically assess it. Right, say, oh, right. it looks like a little tear. Sure. Don't worry about it, honey. Or, oh, my God, your whole vagina is splayed open. You know, right, right. geez, this is really bad. Right, right. Yeah. Something stuck in it. You know, I'm going to pull it out. I mean, there's so many scenarios that could happen. I think, obviously, like you said, I think compression, a towel, and then getting you quickly to get the proper medical care. Yeah, I think in retrospect, having understood this story and now we know what happened, um, I, I would have advised calling 911. Get get medical team there yeah. that can actually assess the situation and start to acutely manage it. Don't get in the car. Don't drive to the ER right. and look at all these COVID people trying to get into the right, ER. Right. You can access that medical care immediately by calling 911. I think so. That's what it's there for. I think so too. And I think this has a lot to do with, again, you know, there's a lot of information out there where we can be more informed, the general public, and that's one of the positives of all the information on the internet. But at the same time, you know, it's sometimes even hard with all that information to determine what's important and the significance of it. So this is an example of an urgent situation. But like I said, the the, the silver lining here is that she's healthy and she was able to sort of coagulate herself and not really bleed out. Um, Long term, I would harbor a little bit of concern about, you know, she had a lower labial laceration then she had one that was periclitoral. Um, are they going to heal okay? Are they going to approximate uh, correctly or cosmetically? Is it not going to look that well? Mm-hmm. Or is it not going to function that well? She can feel bumps. I'm sure she's right. There's some scar tissue there. Um, if they're not put together correctly, and your first chance of doing that is upon initial assessment of the injury. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably is something that may have happened if she was in an ER, if she had been brought in by an ambulance. They may have said, well, look, let's put some local down there. I'm going to approximate those areas. Let me put a couple of sutures there and not just send you home and hope that it heals okay and not bleed again. That's right. And I think also, I mean, even, you know, now that being a few weeks out from the situation, if it hasn't healed perfectly, and the, the functionality of it, meaning the sensation or even really the aesthetics of it is not what it was because obviously this healed by secondary intention. And essentially that means that things are just kind of healing open and hopefully things come together on their own. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of patients who suffer obstetrical trauma and things are just kind of healing on their own. And then years later, we're talking decades you know, we have patients who tell us, you know, I've suffered. I've, you know, I don't like it the way it looks unsightly. And I've suffered from this for many years. It feels Absolutely. different. And I have pain here. So they come to us and obviously we repair it. And it's oftentimes it's considered, you know, it's viewed as just a purely aesthetic thing. But really, if on a deeper level, I think it's like an emotional thing. And think seven weeks later, she's still complaining of urinary issues. So did she have a small laceration of her urethra? Was there some injury in that area that has been unrecognized um, because she didn't see a urogynecologist? And she probably couldn't acutely see a urogynecologist. That would be a really good thing for her to do if she's still having urinary issues. Right. I would highly recommend that. I think so, too. And sometimes even just like this, the, where the tear is, it could cause playing of urine even along the labia, just the asymmetry of it. Absolutely. So definitely worthwhile to follow up um, for long-term health and benefit and make sure that, you know, things are where they should be. Absolutely. I would say that, you know, the fact that she compares this injury to a man getting hit, you know, in the balls or the scrotum, um, 
we it's it's so common that we hear that and i feel like you know things about the male anatomy or sometimes male health the male experience you know that takes a lot of the narrative and this is an example of that because the corollary right the embryological corollary to the female is the labia majora so it's really being hit in the labia majora not the menorah again we're so familiar with the male narrative the male anatomy the sexuality and the experience yeah. of the male, and I think um, this is an example of that. So interesting, for sure. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously being a male, when you get injured in the scrotum, you know, you sing at a high-pitched note because it is exquisitely painful. But her injury is not even close to what happens when a male gets hit in the scrotum. Right, because it's a different area. Yeah, we very much a different area and a different blood supply. Right, you right. get hit in the scrotum, you might have a teeny little bruise. It may hurt for like thirty seconds. Boom, over. You know, she's been in pain for a while, and it, it injured her in an area where she had a lot of nerve endings. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very different. You really, it's comparing apples and oranges. There's not the same thing. Yeah, it's a different part yeah. altogether. Totally. But I I think it's interesting for sure to even just make a comparison as if that's like the standard. For sure. Thrilled to read this one. This is a last story that we're going to cover here. Uh, you found what in my what? What the? So I had to make a throwaway for this guy. It's that bad. I got to the OBGYN today for my annual, and in the midst of the checkup with his fingers in my you know what, he goes, Oh no, I feel something. Then he pulls out a hair tie. No wonder I lose them all. How does this happen? I'm so mortified. Anyone else have a bad OBGYN story to cheer me up? I'm speechless, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, my question, too, would be, how does a hair tie make its way into the vaginal vault? Well, uh, since it can't sprout legs, it doesn't have independent mobility. I would say it has to be placed there. So that would be the first question. And the second question, is it safe to just insert items that don't belong in the vagina or not normally insert in the vagina into the vagina? Well, I think the um, quick and easy answer to that is no. That's right. So I would be concerned on, you know, what's being practiced around the context of something being inserted. Um, And I think, you know, being educated talking to your OBGYN about, you know, is it safe if you prefer hair ties for whatever reason in the vagina? You know, is there another alternative for you or why are you doing it? What are you seeking to accomplish? Um, and if you're not aware that you put it up there, then, you know, what is your home life and the situation with you sleeping? Is, you know, are you asleep are you, where you're not awake when someone's present? So there's so many questions that come up in this context. It's a very unusual scenario. Yeah, I thoroughly agree. You know, um, I think people are a little bit more comfortable in today's world saying, you know, I put this in my anus or I put that in my vagina just for the experience of it. Um, I I, I will tell you, you got to be very cautious about what you put in the vagina. When I was practicing back in New York, I had this young lady, um, she was about 17 years of age, who thought it would be fun to put a lava lamp in her vagina just to push it up there. She burned her entire vagina. She burned the base of her bladder. We were called in emergently in the middle of the night to try to reconstruct her bladder. She probably had about 13 surgeries from us just to help try to build her bladder back up again. She'll never be the same. Yeah. So this is a hair tie. Simple, pulled out, right. over. Right. 
it could be a whole lot worse than that. Right. And I also had a patient, uh, you know, not a lava lamp, but recently she had used, um, you know, one of those over-the-counter impressas for stress incontinence because her doctor, her, you know, general doctor had recommended it. Um, but she presented because she was bleeding so heavily when she pulled this out because she was menopausal and everything was so atrophic that she ended up tearing the lining of the vaginal vault. So, so she know, was like our second story. Exactly. So, well, story. but without obviously like it was just a different scenario, not yeah. falling and having a straddle injury. So I think, you know, got to be pretty ginger about what we put up there. I mean, there's a history of women putting things in their vagina as a hiding place and a very interesting history, but definitely don't recommend it. Well, you know, on that note, I think we're going to wrap up this podcast. But I tell you, I am so excited to be back and so thrilled to be able to, you know, discuss these topics and issues. We ask everybody out there, you know, give us your comments, give us your questions, any topic that you think you really want us to delve a little bit deeper into. We would love to do that, right? That's right. Visit us on our website, www.kimblecenterforpelvicwellness.com. Go under blogs and there's an area where you can submit your comments or even topics you'd like us to discuss. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on TikTok, Drs. Kimble and Kimble. That's our handle. Um, We absolutely love to interact with our audience. We're so appreciative of everybody who listens to us and makes those comments. We have lots of comments and we just love it. Yeah. Thank you for all our followers and listeners for sure. It's been fun. And we'll see you at the next podcast. (laughs)